Welcome to the Story Crafters Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. Story Crafters Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. We are excited to announce that we are expanding our operations to include a brand new community space, the Story Crafters Cafe. This community represents Dabble's commitment to being a resource for all writers, whether you use Dabble or not. This cozy new space is intended to foster an inclusive writing community where we can come together to learn, share our wisdom, vent, and grow in our craft together. The community will feature regular discussion and events, including the following. Daily discussion and writing prompts, monthly conversations with writing experts, authors, and editors, genre-specific spaces with forums and discussion topics, writing group facilitation, and beta reader matchmaking, monthly challenges and contests. We can't wait for you to come by, grab a cup of digital tea, and join in the conversation. Stay tuned for more info. Hello, Story Crafters, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Story Crafters Cafe. Today, we have a fantastic interview for you with Sally Britton. But before we get into that, I thought we'd take just a moment and hear from Diana Gabaldon talking about what to do when your book doesn't easily fit in one genre or another. How do you then describe that book to other people? How do you market your book that doesn't easily fit in the accepted genre structure? Let's hear from Diana. When I was first signing books you know, at malls and things, people would come by and pick up the book and say, oh, is this an novel? <laughs> and they would say yes. And they'd say, is that my kitchen? I'd say yes. And then they would say, well, what's it about? Uh, well, okay, there is no good answer to that, other than starting to tell them the story, that you couldn't only do if you have time, and they're very patient. But anyway, I started replying on the basis of age and gender. If it was a young woman, I'd tell historical romance, men and kilts, you know. If it was a young man, I'd say, oh, it's fantasy, you know, time travel, swords, <laughs> things like that. If it was a slightly older lady, I'd say, it's historical fiction. If you like uh, Shogun, you'll love this. And if it was an older gentleman, I'd say, oh, it's military history. And anybody who looked like a complete nerd, I'd say, well, science fiction, I've been asked to write up the Gabaldon Theory of Time Travel, or the Journal of Transfigural Mathematics in Berlin. It's actually true. But anyway, this, this worked fine. You know, people bought the book. They're all happy with it. But after a while, I started getting crowds with uh, more of a variety of uh, ages and uh, genders. And so that didn't work any longer. And so what I took to doing then was, I'd say, well, I took what? Pick it up, open it anywhere, and read three pages. If you can put it down again, I'll pay you a dollar. So I've never lost any money on that bet, but I sold a lot of books. <laughs> Essentially, if I can get someone to read it, you know, they're, they're mostly booked. Uh, but getting someone to read it, this is, the, this is the rub. Because if you say, oh, it's a romance novel, then, you know, half the population sort of turns up their nose, but I don't read that kind of book. And if you say, oh, it's time travel, another half, but <laughs> I don't read that kind of book. And the thing is that this it's neither of those kinds of books. It's something completely different, which you know, most people do, in fact, find something to like in it. Uh, 
well, it's usually something that everybody would like to read in a book like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's basically a good story with very strong, engaging characters. And it's, uh, as Ron B. Moore said, that when I read it, I was thinking, I've never read this story before. You know, most stories have, have like a recognizable form. I've never seen a story that looks like this before. And that's what it is. It's unique. Well, thanks for joining us today for the Story Crafters Cafe. I'm your host, Hank Garner, and today I am super excited to have author Sally Britton on the show with me today, and we're going to talk all about Regency romance today. Uh, welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you so much, Hank. I'm excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you. Uh, when we started talking earlier this week, I started really digging into uh, your catalog, and uh, I'm, there's so many questions I have, Sally. So uh, <laughs> thanks for joining me. Um, we're going to kick off each show with, uh, with a question that I, I thought of last week, and um, I thought this was a great icebreaker and uh, something that that everyone listening, I guarantee, can connect with in one way or another, what is a piece of writing advice that you have received over your writing career um, that that maybe is a it, it is a piece of advice that completely changed your life or a horrible piece of advice? Um, I think we we've all gotten some of that in the past. But uh, what about for you? I think my favorite piece of advice was it. I mean, it was at a writing conference, so I'm going to count it as writing advice, but it was from um, another author, and I was very, very new. I had just hit publish on my first um, novel, you know, a couple of weeks before I attended this conference, and um, I was very overwhelmed with just how many people were writing in my genre and thinking to myself, what difference does my book make, and why am I doing this, and I'm always going to be in competition with all of these other authors. And um, this woman who is now my friend, she just looked me in the eye and she said, um, a rising tide lifts all boats. When one of us does well, all of us will do well. And um, it, that really changed my mentality. It made me want to be more helpful to other authors and see um, the people in my genre less as competition and more as um, co-creators. That's a great way to look at it. I remember talking to Hugh Howie, a science fiction author, several years ago, and this was really around the time of the the Kindle Revolution, when when people were, uh, when when self publishing became uh, changed from being the pariah of publishing that you know you only self publish because you know it was a vanity thing, and became a uh, a, a legit way to. Um, to to build an audience and to get your your stories out to the world that was, um, you know, that would love them. And, and it became a legitimate uh, form of publishing. And, and he said, we're not in competition with each other. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, we're not in competition with each other. We're in competition with Facebook and YouTube and all of these other things that are drawing on people's attention. If we can get someone reading and completely lost in a story when they finish that one, they're, they're going to want to find another one that, that scratches that itch for them. And like you said, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, exactly that. And it's having that perspective, I think, makes authors less. I've seen it in my genre where sometimes people can be a little bit antagonistic toward each other. Right. Um, 
But if you can find a community that embraces that same idea, then it becomes such a positive thing. It's such a force for good, you right. know, within our genre and for our readership. Yeah. Well, and and there will be a certain amount of people that that are competitive and feel mm-hmm. like that they are competing with you. And just don't let those people get to you is what, what <laughs> find your community. Yeah. So you write Regency romance. Um, what was it that endeared you to the genre at first? Because uh, I've read your blog and I know that you're a fan of fantasy and you are a fan of urban fantasy and and other things that really um, that that you love to read. Um, but what is it about this genre that you chose to write? What endeared you to the genre? I actually love all the rules uh, that come with writing, not just Regency for sure. It has very specific rules, um, but comes with writing with historical. Um, I love fantasy. I think it's my favorite thing to read. Um, And I am at this point in my career, very intimidated by the people who are able of creating their own worlds and magic systems and all those rules that govern it. Um, I have always been a rule follower, like from the time I was a little kid, you know, I was the kindergarten line monitor in kindergarten. (laughs) So the fact that Regency came with, um, a very set, you know, set, set of, you know, using set twice, uh, of rules, you know, and uh, that everybody who reads in, in the genre, um, knows and expects and follows. And there's an added challenge to that, that I also really enjoy is how can I be unique and different while I still have to work within this framework um, of accepted rules. So, I mean, I read across all genres and I love reading Regency. So when I was ready to finally pursue um, the path of the author, that's what spoke to me. So for, for people who may not be um, very well versed in, in the rules of the genre, what are some of those ground rules? What separates Regency romance from from another genre? Well, Regency actually takes place in a very limited time frame. Um, strict, if we're talking very strict Regency, it's only about 30 years in the history of um, Great Britain. And that's the other thing about the Regency is it is only in the Great Britain. So okay. uh, you have a very limited area, um, you know, anything that's British or where British people would be. Um, around, you know, between the late 1790s and the early 1820s. Um, So it's a very strict set of fashion rules, uh, courtship rules. You know, women were very limited into what they could and couldn't do. Um, And there were just strict societal barriers. It's, um, It's a really interesting period in time. And as more authors have come to it and explored all the different ways to break the rules creatively sure. has, has made it a lot of fun. So um, uh, most people get their first introduction to the Regency by watching a period film. Yeah. So a Jane Austen novel adaptation. So Pride okay. and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility. I, I think most of us zombies. are familiar yeah. with those and, and may not realize that that's an introduction to, exactly. to this time period and the genre. Yeah, so Jane Austen was living in the Regency, and she would she was a contemporary author of that time period. And, of course, now you have the big sensations like Bridgerton that has come out and um, Sanditon that came out that was very popular. So it's a very romantic period in history 
at least we tend to romanticize it. There were definitely things happening that were not good at that point <laughs> in time. Um, but that's an also interesting aspect of writing it is writing, writing this romantic, um, you know, fantasized almost version of what history was and balancing out, you know, all the inconveniences and all of the not good things that were also going on at that time. One thing I find interesting about the the Regency period and the the literature that comes out uh, about it, um, living in the 21st century, we have technology that has made our lives so um, so much easier. I mean, we're we're getting to do this show because of the advances in technology. Um, our favorite piece of writing software, Dabble, um, is you know we, we have that because of the technology that's available to us now. Um, in the Regency period is this interesting time. It's really before the Industrial Revolution, um, kind of just before it. Um, but there have been some some societal advances that, that kind of bring us right up to that. Um, but do the restraints of the time period and the technology, um, how do you feel writing in that? Does it make it easier because you don't have to deal with text messages coming in in the story or, you know, someone getting lost and just being able to pull up Google Maps or um, right. Does that make things easier when you kind of remove all of those advances? I would say in a lot of ways for romance, it does, because um, I have friends who write absolutely fabulous contemporary romances. um, And yet sometimes one of their events is they can solve all of this just with a quick five minute text conversation. And, um, you know, communication is probably the biggest way that uh, I would say we differ from back then. It took letters, sometimes weeks, to reach people once you wrote them. And letters weren't private the way they are now. You know, you send a letter, there's a good chance somebody would read it before it even got to its intended recipient. Um, And I think that creates a really interesting host of problems, but it makes some of the plot devices that I use a little bit easier. Uh, One thing that a lot of romance readers um, are concerned about, that it's not their favorite trope, is miscommunication. Um, And it's because we live in an age of communication. And, you know, it's so easy to pick up a phone or to update a Facebook status or whatever it is to communicate what's going on in your life and how you're doing. Um, Whereas back in this time period, uh, if you weren't seeing people and interacting with them on a daily basis, they had no idea what your life was like and how you were doing. And so um, I can play with that miscommunication trope a little bit more than my friends who write contemporary um, because there were so a few meetings face-to-face. It took letters a long time to get places. And then the societal norms of that era even meant that some things you didn't talk about, even if you really needed to talk about them. Right. So as a fan of the genre, what was it that that prodded you to write that first story? Um, if, If I'm not mistaken, you've been publishing since around 2007. Do I have that right? Oh, no, no. Okay. I've been writing since 2007. No, I my, I published for the first time in 2018. Okay. So yeah. so what was it? What was the the motivation to to start writing that first story? And, um, you know, was it uh, was it a bolt of lightning? You know, was it just something that had been nagging at you for a while and you decided to to sit down and put proverbial pen to paper? Or what, what was that that instigation? Honestly, it was that moment of 
um, write what you want to read. I wasn't finding enough of the stories that I wanted as a reader. And because of that, I started telling myself the stories, you know, just thinking ideas through. Um, I actually, I've always been into writing. I was a huge fan fiction writer in my late teens, early 20s, and all through the college years. Um, so I loved telling myself stories or retelling stories in ways that I liked better. You know, if you're a fan fiction person, you, you know how that works. Yeah. You know, you take characters you love or you take a, an ending that you didn't love and you change it. Um, so when I was ready to start writing, well, what made me ready was not finding enough stories and wanting to see a different type of story or more of a certain story. And I just couldn't find it because the Regency genre was, I think we've gone kind of through a renaissance in the last mm -hmm. couple of years. And I came in at the very beginning of that um, because people were starting to read the books that were available, but they weren't being churned out fast enough to satiate gotcha. the readers. So you, um, you are an indie publisher. Um, you, you publish your own work. Um, was that always a, a consideration for you? Uh, because you came a along in publishing a kind of a, that Kindle revolution that we talked about a minute ago, kind of around the time that was really maturing. And there was lots of information out there about how to uh, self-publish or indie publish. And uh, there was a lot of, um, uh, you know, good feelings around indie publishing. You really came in at, at, a great time. Um, was that something that was that part of your strategy uh, or how did you decide that indie publishing was going to be the route for you? After I started writing my stories, I wanted to share them. And of course, we start looking at the different options for that traditional publishing and indie publishing. I didn't know a lot about indie publishing. And I would say 2016, when I was starting to really think about this and dig into it, um, I had a poor opinion myself of what indie publishing was. And like you said, that was the beginning of this revolution. And uh, I spent all of 2017 um, writing and researching about indie publishing and talking to as many people as I could talk to. I read at the time, there was this wonderful book out called for Lo Writing for Love or Money by S.K. Quinn. She's since taken it down uh, because it's no longer current. But that book and her advice really made me understand that I didn't necessarily want the clout that mm -hmm. comes with traditional publishing. I didn't need that validation, um, which I think a lot of people, you know, feel like, and I'm speaking in very general broad terms here, but there are still people who feel like they haven't made it until a publishing house or an agent have told them that they've made it. And I realized I didn't need that. I just wanted to get my stories out. Um, for me, this wasn't a business decision. It started out as a stay-at-home mom's hobby that she did for fun so that she could share her stories. And um, self-publishing seems like a great way to do that. And as I was researching, I found out, oh, people are making money doing this. <laughs> and um, so I, you know, I was publishing smart. You know, I wanted the pretty cover. I made sure right. that my book was well edited. Um, but I honestly was thinking to myself, if I make enough extra money to, you know, take the family on a small vacation once a year or to just pay for myself to go to these cool writing conferences that I keep hearing about and haven't yet attended, then that's good enough for me. 
And that's how I kind of entered it. It was not thinking this is going to be a career, um, not thinking this is going to be what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, or that one way was necessarily better than the other for income. It was more about how can I get my stories out quickly yeah. and share them with others. So that's I'm, I'm glad you you kind of went down that trail for a minute because um, how do I say this? Um, there's a there's a school of thought that uh, that says writing should be pure and, uh, you know, it's a, it's an art form and, um, you know, we shouldn't worry about making money with it. Another school of thought that that will, you know, every job is is legitimate. And, and just because y- you happen to take this art form and make money with it doesn't make it any less um real or, you know, or or whatever um you you started in just writing from your passion and just because it fulfilled you in some way well now you are at the place where this is providing legitimate income uh for you and probably has changed your family's um you know uh the way you live and the and the way that your your family is supported uh, do so have your ideas about um, writing for passion, for fun, uh, versus writing for uh, for profit. Uh, have have those changed at all, or do you feel any conflict there? I guess is what I'm trying to say between art and commerce. This is an amazing question. Mm. <laughs> I feel <laughs> These are the things conflict. I lay, I lay awake at night, just you know. Yes. Good. It's it's an amazing question, and I think it's one that I probably revisit myself constantly. Um, Frequently, if not constantly. Uh, right now, I really question art versus commerce when I'm on a deadline. <laughs> you know, when I'm when I'm realizing right. I've got a week to get something to my editor if she's going to be able to get back to me in time for me to do X, Y, Z. So I think there are facets for me. Of course, I'm speaking yeah. for myself. It's different for everybody. But there are facets of writing that are now very commercialized for me. Um, very much in my in my head, you know, yeah. when I'm thinking about covers, I'm not going to please myself. I'm only going to please my readers. I'm, um, you know, I set up pre-orders for books. Uh, that way my readers can see them and pre-order them. And that way I can see that number rising and know that that is income I can count on the day that book releases. Sure. Um, and, you know, I do look and see, okay, well, what are readers really interested in right now? What's you know, what's the big trope that everybody's reading, for example, um, as far as how I market things. But I still feel very, I don't know. I'm not sure. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us don't necessarily apply the idea of art. At least Mm -hmm. I don't apply the idea of art to my books. I do not expect my art form, my books to be around after I'm gone. Um, I'm not thinking that my stories will have that kind of longevity, but I think that they are very valuable in the moment. Um, I enjoy knowing that they go out into the world and they entertain um, other stay-at-home moms like I was. I love that they're in nursing homes and libraries and that I get readers from all over the world who have a few hours of enjoyment, entertainment, escapism from what I'm writing. And I think as long as I stay aware of that joy that I'm bringing others by sharing these stories, that I will be fine. I have 
lots of ideas still. And um, I'm aware enough of the market that I know I can continue to sell my ideas, if that makes sense. Well, and isn't that why we all write to begin with? Because we want someone to read our stories. Um, we we want them to emotionally connect with with something that we have to say. I mean, let, let's just reduce it down to to why we do what we do. We want to entertain someone, and we want them to feel something. Exactly. Yes. And as yeah. long as I'm accomplishing that, um, then I I can I can I'll keep going. <laughs> so. I I wrote a. a a book one time, uh, it was called Writer's Block, and I got an email from someone, and she said, uh, the ending of this book made me snot cry, and and that that was one of the that was one of the best compliments, you know, that that you could uh, you could hit someone that hard, you know, and that that it's, you know they're left with something, and that's that's what we all want. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I live so, for those emails. <laughs> right. Right. Those are the best. Um, Let's talk just a minute, um, because your writing career sort of parallels um, the the Dabble timeline. Uh, you started using Dabble early in your writing career, didn't you? Yes, in 2017 for NaNoWriMo, I got the free trial. Um, I think at that point um, it was like you got it for free for the entire month of November and then for, you know, like 30 days after that or something. So, yeah, but I started using it at 2017 for NaNoWriMo and I was very skeptical when I yeah. started. So had you had you started using Microsoft Word or, you know, something that, that, that a, a bland word processor that, that most people at least, you know, cut their teeth? Oh, yeah. On? yeah. Yeah, I had used I had like. I had used everything from Notepad because Notepad was so not distracting. Right. And Word and but Word crashed and I lost things. And then I tried to use, um, you know, what people said was the end-all be-all software for writers. Um, yeah. Not sure if I should mention names. I think we all know what we're talking about here. Yeah. The one that's but, overly complicated and. Yes. So yeah. many bells and whistles and, and it was so never updates to, for Windows. Exactly, and I didn't want to buy a Mac back then. I have one now. I've, yeah. I've got a Mac now, but there were so many things that I had tried, um, that yeah, Google docs and then trying to, you know, organize things and you keep it all in one big file. Do you, you know, organize it by chapters and yes, it was a mess. All of my files, I had so many files in so many different places trying everything and nothing really flowed. So I was, I was, skeptical of anything that said that it would make my writing better than what was already out there. So for for the one person listening who doesn't know what NaNoWriMo is, uh, it, it's a challenge to write a novel, 50,000 words in the month of November, and uh, it, it brings writers together to encourage one another and to, you know, prod each other on and a place to track what you're doing. So so w- what was it? What was the draw for you for to to do NaNoWriMo first off? What, what, did you see this kind of challenge and well, maybe I can do that, or was it was it something to to keep you accountable, or what was the initial draw? Uh, I've done um, NaNoWriMo since college, just every year, even when it was just fan fiction writing. Yeah, and it's because I love the camaraderie. Um, I would go to in person meetings, and they used to have all these great. Uh, forums that I would go and hang out on. It was as much 
um, a joy to connect with other people who loved writing and telling stories as it was the fun of the challenge. And it sounds, people who haven't done it before think it sounds awful, you know, for us to <laughs> really, for you know, force those 50,000 words in a month. Um, but if you enter into the spirit of National Novel Writing Month, it's so much fun. Um, so I was just, you know, scrolling through the offers that NaNoWriMo, they send out, you know, things to get ready and, you know, they, you prepare in October and all of these things. And I noticed Dabble and I noticed that it was for free and, uh, you can't beat free. So, um, and I was just at that point, I was just up to my eyeballs in being upset with word processors. And I had decided that what I wrote that November, I was going to turn into one of the books I was going, going to publish um, the next year in 2018. And it was, it was the third book that I published that year. Um, so it was, you know, I was going at it with maybe a little bit more aggression, I guess, than I had <laughs> in the past. So I was looking at all their offers and seeing what they had. And um, Dabble was on there. And um, it had this, you know, cute little description that was written by Jacob because I'm pretty sure he was almost a one man show at that point. Yes. Um, and, you know, just inviting people to come try and that it was brand new and it was just launching. It's like, OK, sure. Why not? You know, what's um, what's going to be the downside of this? And I like that um, even at that point, Dabble had a great word count um, capability. And that's a big thing about NaNoWriMo is keeping yeah. track of your words. And I didn't want to have to go in and do the math every day, you know, subtract whatever it was from my total word count on a word processor or Google Docs. So Gotta get those 1600 words a day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that was that was that was what happened. It was a free sample and I was aggravated and aggressive. So. So so from there, you you finished NaNoWriMo. Did, did you hit your word count? For that month? I did. I did. I surpassed it. Yes. I surpassed it. And like I said, and that book was the third book I published. So that's amazing. That's me. And you've been a dabble user ever since. Ever since I, yes, I, every year I did NaNoWriMo. Um, I think in 2018, I did NaNoWriMo specifically so I could get the dabble coupon at that point. Cause there was a coupon offer that year yeah. um, to do the subscription for less. And now I do have the lifetime uh, lifetime Dabble subscription. Nice, so, nice. And and uh, Dabble has added features over the years. Uh, and the the plot grid and and the, all the plotting tools are really uh, a, a lot of people come and and stick around for that. As as writers, we like to put people in one of two camps. Uh, it it's been my experience that that no one really falls solidly into one camp or another, but we like love the sliding to talk, scale. <laughs> yeah. We love to talk about pantsers versus plotters. Um, where do you fall? I am a light plotter and gotcha. sometimes I dive into the pants, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I am a light plotter. Okay. I, yeah. I'm also the type of writer that they tell you not to be Yeah. Um, where I edit as I go. So, yeah. So my first draft is usually very clean, and I, I think know a lot of people like that. You know, so yeah. the 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 fun writing advice is turn off the internal editor and just pound out the words, and eh, that that doesn't exactly work for everybody all the time. I, I understand the <laughs> I understand the spirit behind the the advice, but it 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 doesn't actually work for a lot of people. 
sometimes you need you need to to edit as you go i agree and because of the nature of what i write too because it's historical um i'm pretty well versed in that time period in history now but there are times where it's i can't continue until i do that little bit of research too it's like oh i need to look up this year in particular to see if this thing works so I don't know. I've always edited as I go. I actually think that's something that I brought from my days as a fan fiction writer, because back in the dirty days of fan fiction, um, you know, you'd publish, especially if you wanted to keep all your readers happy, you'd publish, you know, every week. And, you know, if you were lucky, you would have a, a beta reader. But most of us were just writing and publishing and writing and publishing. And I don't know. It was fun. And I'm sure fan fiction as a culture has changed a lot since then. I'm not really in that culture anymore, but uh, I think that carried over into this writing is just get it out, get it as perfect as you can, get it done and then move on. So at what point Sally did your writing start to change? And, and what I mean by that is when did it, um, when did you realize that this passion project that you had, um, kind of had legs and that this could be more than just something that you do for fun and personal fulfillment, um, that, that maybe, maybe this is a business and, uh, and I can take this thing that I love and I can actually make money at it. And, and the second part of that question is when, when you started having that realization, did that change your, your writing work ethic, maybe work ethics, not the right term, but the, the way that you approach, um, you know, maybe, maybe before you gave yourself 10 hours a week to put into it. Uh, and, and maybe now you realize maybe, maybe this needs 20, 30, 40 hours a week. Kind of, could you just talk a little bit about that progression going from passion to something that's paying the bills? Absolutely. Um, so it was very much passion. It was also a way for me to distract myself. A lot of authors, I think, come into this almost as a therapeutic practice. Um, my husband at the time that I started writing worked in law enforcement, and okay. he had a very dangerous job, um, very dangerous career. And I would put the kids down at night because I have four children. I'd put the kids down at you know eight o'clock at night. They're all in bed. The house is quiet. I'm alone, and he doesn't get home until one. And I don't know if he's coming home until midnight. Um, so that's when my writing started. And when I thought, you know, let's see if we can make some money with this and share it with people and um, see if I can at least get the books to pay for themselves. That was, that was the mentality when I started. Yeah. It's like, I want to tell my stories. I want them to pay for themselves. And it would be nice to take the family on vacation, not even a big vacation, just on a vacation. Um, and Uh, I started to connect with others in the community who writing community who were writing like I was other women who were writing at night because their families were asleep or whatever it was. Um, And we were all talking and some of them um, were looking at this as a career. And so a lot of what slowly started to happen was I was listening to these women, talking to these other women um, about how they could use their words to make life better at home. And, um, and I love that idea. And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this. And the first, you know, couple of months that your first book is out, you're lucky if you see, you know, 20 bucks. Sure. Um, and, um, they started talking about things like reader magnets where you would draw readers in with a free shorter work 
and you know, then get them to want to read the rest of your work or sign up for a newsletter. Like, oh, I can do that. That's not a big deal. And I love getting newsletters from my favorite authors. So why not try it? Yeah. Um, so it was just a slow trickle of starting to try things. And then that first month that I made four figures was shocking. Um, I was like, oh my goodness, this pays for the next like four books in terms right. of editing and covers and things like that. Uh, because historical covers are not that expensive, um, not like fantasy covers. <laughs> so, um, and then the first, you know, $5,000 month happened. And this was all within the first year of me writing. And by the last month, I had um, a $16,000 month. And I had Whoa. five books out. Yes, and it was amazing. And I had five books out. And because I had done all this research prior to publishing, um, it's like, yes, I want to tell these stories for myself, but I want them to be pretty. So I had nice covers. My covers, I think, were a big part of what drew people in, um, as well as, you know, the fact that Regency itself as a genre was about to implode and explode and just get bigger than anybody could imagine. Um, so I, I had a sweet spot. I really did hit it. <laughs> just the sweet, just the right place. I came in. Um, but when I looked at that month, that December in 2018, and I looked at how it had grown steadily and I, I still felt it's like, you know, people say, well, are you going to get burnout or run out of stories or not like what you're telling anymore? I still had a library of books inside waiting to get out all in this genre. And I had a meeting with my husband when we were talking about our taxes. And I said, look, I have to pay taxes. <laughs> you know, this isn't hobby money anymore. And I think I'm good at this. And I think I can be even better at this. Um, I'm a very organized person in terms of like admin work. I was always very good at admin work. Um, and so the business side of things didn't intimidate me either because it's all admin. Um, so he said, okay, well, let's make a real go for it. And how can I help? I had a very supportive spouse. So yeah. I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, so every day he would do all the morning stuff with the kids, despite his weird hours and help me with the house. And then I would concentrate during the day um, when I still had little ones who weren't, you know, school age yet of doing the business stuff and learning the business stuff. And um, by the end of 2019, um, I was making more money than my husband at his full-time, very dangerous job. And uh -huh. we looked at both of our incomes. And at the end of 2019, um, I said, you're going to quit. <laughs> you are done. We're not going to do this anymore. You're not going to be in law enforcement. Um, and I support you in doing anything else that you want to do, but how about you quit that? And let's, let's live off of what I'm doing for now. And it really was such a gradual growth that I don't think I can point to one moment and say, this is the moment I knew, but definitely that year when I looked at my, you know, that, that, big paycheck that December, 2018. And I looked at how steadily, you know, my royalties had done just this going upward, upward, upward. It's like, okay, this, this is real. This is real money. And I was surprised that I was good at it. And I'm like, you know what though, I, I can use this. I can help my family and, um, build the community. I was just, I was excited. Um, yeah. it was a challenge and I, I don't know. I feel like I was the kid that I was never great at, you know, the music, musical instruments or sports. I enjoyed all that stuff, but I never found like this magical thing that I was good at, like other people yeah. I knew. And so here I am, you know, as a woman in her early thirties with a family 
and I find that thing that suddenly I'm just good at this and, you know, the business aspect of it and my writing, people seem to like it. Nobody thought it sucked too much. So <laughs> it was, um, it, it was a steady, gradual process. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yes, that that's amazing. Um, Sally, there comes a point in every successful author's career um, that well, well let, let me rephrase that. Um, in the beginning, people find your books and maybe they like the genre, maybe they like the cover, the title, something appeals to them and and they give your book a chance. Uh, and then maybe they maybe it's part of a series and they come back to continue the series or or whatever happens. Um, but at some point, um, people stop coming or, you know, a certain portion of your fan base stops coming for a particular book and starts coming because they trust Sally Britton and they become fans of Sally Britton, not necessarily a book in in your series. And maybe people come for that. But there comes a point where they come for you and not necessarily for a particular book. Um, when did when did you start realizing some of that was happening and that you had people that were fans of of you uh, and 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 that they trusted that you were going to tell them a story that they were going to love? It was about halfway through 2019, so about a year and a half after I started publishing. They tell you don't read your reviews. They tell you a lot of things, and yeah. you just need to do what you're comfortable with anyway. Um, but I was looking through reviews. I was looking specifically for like a pool quote to use somewhere. I don't even remember what the situation was. But I read on one of these reviews, somebody said, Sally Britton is an auto buy for me. And that was the first time I had seen it. Yeah, just like explosion. It's like as soon as they saw my name, they didn't care what the series was. They didn't care um, if it was a continuation of something, if it was something new. If my name was on it, they were going to buy it. And it, it blew my mind. And I, I sat there. I remember that moment. I sat there for a moment and just kind of stared at it. And I thought this is absolutely not. This is crazy. I mean, why, why does this person trust me so much? Um, because at that, I I still struggle with it a little bit. Um, because I feel like people are still should be, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this. I have authors who are on my auto buy list. I will buy anything that they write. And it's because I love their work and I love the way their work makes me feel. And so I understand that, but from this perspective, I, I don't understand why anybody still does that for me. It's like, this is incredible. And why? Um, I had a, um, a project I wanted to do recently. Um, I've never been great at keeping like a series Bible, you know, something that keeps all my characters and all the little details about them in place. And so I'm constantly having to go back and look at previous books to find things. And it was driving me crazy. Um, so I floated this idea out to one of my readers and I said, do you think anybody would be interested in helping me do this? And she freaked out immediately said, oh, yeah, we can put together a team and we're going to have all these people who are going to be interested in it. And you're really going to have to whittle it down and choose who you want. I was like, there's no way. Way. Like <laughs> I reached out to, to the readers that I was this is, would you be interested in like reading my books and taking notes on it? I mean, I felt like such a phony, like I had the biggest yeah. moment of this is unreal and they're going to laugh and nobody's going to do this. They're going to think you're arrogant or you think you're all bad or whatever. And, um, but I asked and they were excited about it and grateful that I had asked them. 
And what a humbling moment that I had the ability to say, hey, would you want to read this thing I wrote and take notes on it for me to use later? I mean, that is such a backward idea in the first place, but they were so enthusiastic about it and they've done an amazing job with it and saved me hours and hours of work. And as they went back and reread these books, because these are people who have read everything I've written, you know, so far, they re-reviewed them and re-shared them on social media and talked about them again. And I just, it's, I mean, this is all fairly recent too. It just blows my mind that I have created something, enough somethings that people trust me to keep creating. It's so cool. And it's so much responsibility. You know, it's the Spider-Man quote with great power comes great (laughs) responsibility. So this is not going to my head in a way that's like, yeah, I'm fantastic. I'm still, I hope I'm never at that point, but it's very humbling. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I really don't want to disappoint anyone now. (laughs) I cannot disappoint these people. They have so much faith in what I do. So it's great sales numbers comes great responsibility. Maybe, maybe would be the, the update for that quote. Um, Super fans. Right. Looking at your Amazon page, uh, you have three books up for pre-order, one releasing in April, one in May, and I believe the third one releases in July. What is your production schedule like? Um, It's busy. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like it. It's busy. I'm a pretty I'm a pretty fast writer. Um, Fast and self-editing usually don't go together, but I, I manage somehow. Um, well, you've done I'm, it enough. You ought to be getting pretty good at it. Oh yeah. It's a routine and occasionally I get thrown off that routine. I wish, I really wish. And my goal this year, um, before my entire family had COVID in January, my mm. goal this year was to be writing a book ahead of schedule at all times. Um, because I haven't been that way. I write and release. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how it has always gone. Um, but COVID struck and it actually, actually delayed that plan and then put me even further behind when a different sickness hit my whole family in February. Because even though dad is now stay at home dad and kids are in school, I am still mom. And every woman who listens, watches, knows what that means. If your family is sick, there's nothing else happening. Right. Um, So Right now, I'm kind of a little bit frenzied, but usually my production schedule is about six weeks to write a book. Wow. Yeah, and um, we're talking decent, like decently thick books. Like some of my books are 65K. Um, I have one that's 104K. Um, Most of my books are around the 70K, 70,000 word mark. Um, So about six weeks is usually the amount of time that I can do a complete full meaty novel (laughs) to give to my readers. Um, So I do that six weeks and that's dividing my days between writing and then all the admin work that goes with making this a business. And then it, you know, I send things to my editor. That's usually another two to three weeks. And then uh, of course, as soon as it goes to my editor, uh, I start the next thing. I don't sit and twiddle my thumbs and wait for that to come back. I'm already writing whatever comes next. And um, so then it comes back from my editor. I spend about a week fixing it. It goes to proofreaders or beta readers or both. And then it uploads to Amazon and it goes out. And because I've got, you know, it's about about a two-month window for one book to get completely done. And my covers are all ahead of schedule. Um, 
because it takes that two months, I'm pretty good at knowing when I can release things and when to set up pre-orders for. Um, have I ever regretted setting up a pre-order or counting on my schedule? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. Um, but yeah, I, I know myself well enough that I even know if I'm way far behind on the deadline, I know what it would take to bring me back. You know, it'll take a weekend in a hotel by myself, or it'll take, you know, several days of my family not seeing me except at meals. And again, that supportive, supportive partner is very right. important. If your partner is not supportive, this is going to be way harder for you. Um, but yeah, because I, I've got that, you know, I've got that system pretty well oiled at this point. Does being a partial plotter, and I just coined that term <laughs> just now, um, does being a partial plotter help you to maintain that sort of six-week writing schedule, kind of knowing the skeleton of the story at least and, and having notes and maybe filling out the plot grid? That Does that help you when you're you know, doing the down and dirty drafting of the story? Oh, for certain, yes, it really does. Um, the thing that people say... And I think you can say this about any genre, but the thing I hear people say a lot about rom romances is it's so formulaic and you always know how it's going to end. Well, of course, if it's a romance, we know that the hero and heroine are going to be, to be together by the end. Yeah. We know that. So that's also really helpful is when I start, I know how my story is supposed to end. Um, and there are specific beats to the story. There's a rhythm to every romance yeah. and, um, I've actually learned more about that in the last year than I did when I originally started as an avid romance reader. Um, I had that beat very naturally. Um, you know, I, I recognized it even though I didn't know what it was. And I've learned in the past couple of years that there are entire systems and entire methods of writing this beat and this system perfectly. Um, but that, that really helps too as a romance author is that there's a specific set of things that have to happen um, and they have to happen at specific times in the book for the book to make sense. You know, you have, you have what people call a three-act structure. You have your seven or nine, you know, main beats. Right. And um, that really helps, too. So even though I'm a loose plotter, like you said, I know what the pattern is. So if I'm at a certain point in my novel and I see how many you know, words I've written thus far, thank you, Dabble, I, I can look at the structure and say, okay, what needs to happen next is this. You know, it's, they've had this happen, now they need to have a falling out. Or they've had their falling out, now somebody needs to help them, you know, come back together. Um, I think romance novels are a lot like taffy pulling, you know, old-fashioned taffy pulling, yeah. where you stretch everything out, bring it back together, stretch it all out, and bring it back together. Um, and because of that very natural rhythm, uh, I think that it makes it a lot easier and I'm sure there's going to be somebody out there who hates me for saying that <laughs> it makes it easier, but for me, it makes it easier to keep, um, keep on schedule and, um, you know, make good time. I guess is yeah. the right thing to say, as well as to catch up. And a lot of times, you know, when we get to the murky middle of a story as authors, uh, we can we start to feel that lag. That's another nice thing about romance is you know what's supposed to be happening. If you feel that lag, right. it's like, okay, it's time to stir things up again and throw something at this couple that it's going to make life difficult for them. And I'm pretty sure you can say the same thing about other genres like fantasy. Okay, it's getting a little bit slow. I need to 
throw a new wizard or witch or magical sword or something, whatever it is, at these characters that they now have to deal with before they get to the end of their quest. I heard someone say uh, one time that uh, the way to write a story is take a protagonist that everyone loves, stick him in a tree, and then set the tree on fire. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. And I and have used that example happens. so many times. Okay. I just have to say this just for a second. There is an absolutely brilliant show on Netflix. It was a remake of an old sci-fi show. I don't have the name right now. But they did that at the in the very first episode. So this isn't a big spoiler. And I was teaching my children writing at the time. And I was teaching classes for kids at a library about how to write and how to, you know, up the stakes. And I said, you know, you put your person in a tree and you kick the ladder out from under him and then set the tree on fire. That was the example I used. They did exactly that in the show. And they threw an enemy in in the tree with it. Yes. 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 They did that with a little boy. And that is precisely exactly perfect. And I like, I cheered when I saw that. I'm like, they took our example and they made it literal. It was fantastic. So fun. So Sally, there, there's going to be one listener who's listening to the show that that maybe is not familiar with your work, um, but after listening to you, they really want to dig into uh, some Sally Britton books. What is uh, what's a great on ramp uh, for a new reader who has just discovered you? What where would you tell someone uh, to jump in? I write my books, my series, very loosely connected. Okay. Um, so they're very fulfilling. If you start at book one in a series and go all the way to book six, that's great. But each book can also stand completely on its own. Um, it's it's great. It's one of those where like characters from other books make cameo appearances. Right. Um, but it doesn't really spoil the fact that, you know, you haven't read their book first. And I did that on purpose um, because there are certain tropes that I know I look for. Um, for instance, one of my absolute favorite Regency tropes, and it's a big romance trope too, is the arranged marriage trope. So that is one of my favorite. Would I ever want to live through it myself? No, absolutely not. But <laughs> it is such a fun trope to read. That's um, what's well, that's why it's so fun to torture other people with it. Absolutely, exactly. Right. Um, so like I said, I I try my best to make my books where you can Pick your favorite trope and then find a book that suits you. If you are a hardcore Regency person and you love the ballrooms and you love the dancing and um, everything that comes along with being in London at the height of the season, people who know Regency will know what I mean, um, then you'd want to probably start with my series, um, the Inglewood series. The first one is uh, Rescuing Lord Inglewood. And that's arranged marriage, marriage of convenience, um, and it has all of that great Regency stuff. But if you're new to the genre and you're just interested maybe in st- sticking your toes in or you know, giving it a try, um, I have a few novellas that people seem to enjoy. I'm like looking behind me so I can remember what they are. Oh, so the one that people like most right now that is like selling like gangbusters it's amazing is this one it's called her unsuitable match and it's a marriage of convenience story um it's a war um story you know the the hero is a veteran from the napoleonic wars um so people seem to really love this one um it's very i don't know there's some angst in it so people seem to like that um but if you're very new and you don't have any idea about the regency then i suggest this pretty cover it's a book called A Haunting at Havenwood 
I have ghosts in it, but they're not too scary. Um, and it's just a, a more gentle introduction into that world and those romances and um, that time in history. So that those are good places to start. I love it. We'll uh, we'll put links to those in the show notes. Uh, Sally, I also know that you have a fantastic website and you blog there regularly. And we we mentioned the blog uh, earlier. Uh, is that the best place if someone is just discovering you and wants to follow along with all the great stuff that you're doing? Is that the best place to to follow you? Uh, is, is there a social media account that, that they should also be aware of? I have a reader group on Facebook called okay. Sally's Sweet Romance Fans. So if you like that reader group, I'd say there's there's something in there every day that I'm posting um, or the other fans are posting. But my favorite thing to keep updated just with me and what I'm doing is on Instagram. So I like taking pretty pictures. Of things. <laughs> that's, well, Instagram that's seems thing. to be where all the good vibes are uh, also. I say the bookstagram community is absolutely my favorite social media yeah. community. They are so it. welcoming and so kind. Sally, thank you so much for taking time to join me today in the Story Crafters Cafe. We're going to send everyone to see you and to, to pick up uh, your books. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to come on. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun.